The temple was empty. The presence of God long neglected. Traditions long forgotten. A community turning from selfish devotion, remembering their first love. They began working and preparing a place that was ready to worship God. A people worshiping, singing, reading scripture, lifting up praise to the King of Kings. Collectively giving the first share of what they produced, they freed up the church to bless and serve people around them. A natural invitation poured out for others to experience God's redemptive plan. This is the story of the church, restored to its former glory, to what God intended it to be. This was Hezekiah's revival, our pathway to awakening. So I, I have a question for you. Would, would God say, with his perfect knowledge of who you are, would God say that you are a generous person? I know that the Lord would say of my son Jake that he is a generous person. Generosity comes naturally to my son. Here's a picture of my seven-year-old boy, Jake. Uh, he is filled with joy, as you can see. You can also see he's missing teeth. We're at that stage of life where the teeth fall out. Recently, he lost a tooth, put it under his pillow, and the tooth fairy brought him three dollars. And my older high school daughter discovered Jake's three dollars and took a picture of the three dollars. She couldn't believe how she found them. Jake had cut them in half right down the middle. Do you see that? And we were alarmed. We're like, Jake, why did you cut your money? And he said, so I can share them with more people, Dad. Isn't that cute? Jake just loves to share. You know, a month ago, we moved into our new house, and our kids are beginning to get to know their neighbors, and there's a bunch of little kids on our street. It's great. Jake was out playing with all the little kids, and we got a knock on our door with a neighbor mom. And she said to me, uh, do you know your son is handing out money to all the kids in the neighborhood? <laughs> I explain, I go, yeah, that's how we make friends. It's the only way it works, you know. <laughs> I don't know where Jake gets it. I, I know that he, he doesn't get it from me. Generosity comes easy to my boy, but I struggle with it. And my own struggle with generosity was evidenced to me just a month ago when we moved. We had uh, three professional movers helping us. And it was great to see these young guys carry all this heavy stuff. And as they were about to finish, I, I panicked. I thought, do you tip movers? I, I've, I've never had movers before. I don't know. I mean, are they like waiters? I know you tip waiters. You know, and so I, I started freaking out. And I just, I, don't say it out loud, but I, I would ask you, do you tip, would, you tip away, uh, would you tip a mover? Did you hear me say don't say it out loud? You were all more generous than I, because my natural thought was, I'm sure they get paid well for what they do, and throwing money on top of money just doesn't make sense to me, but, you know. But I, I went online, you know, the, the internet is the source of all wisdom, and so I googled, should I tip a mover, you know, and it popped up, yes, you should tip a mover, and this website recommended that you give them each a $20 bill. And, and I thought, yeah, it's probably the Movers Union or something, websites, you know. But <laughs> seemed right to me, so I decided that I'd give them each 20. So I went to my wallet, and I panicked because 
I think, I don't know how this happened. I can't even remember how I got these bills. And it's never happened in my life before. The, I had three bills in my wallet. Three $50 bills. Can you believe it? So I rushed, slammed my wallet shut. That won't work. And so I rushed to my wife and I said, Jen, I need 320s. And she said, I got, I have no cash at all. And I go, darling, we got a problem. I just found out on the internet you're supposed to tip the movers and all I've got is 350s. And Jen's like, the Lord has spoken. And I'm like, no, he hasn't. No, he has not. I don't know what you're talking about. And my wife, being more generous than I, just said, come on, give it to him. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I mean, I have the option between nothing or 50s. That's all I got. And so I, it about killed me, but I did it. I just came over to them, you know, oh, it hurt my side, a cramp as I did it, you know. And I, they were, they loved it. They're like, sweet, you know, this is great. I passed that out. But it just showed me again, you know, money is scarce. And to give away your money sometimes goes against everything that's a natural reaction in us, particularly and including giving our money to God. This giving, this generosity that we're here to talk about is really tough, really tough for a lot of us. And yet, as we study the uh, example of Hezekiah, we're going to find that generosity is essential for a spiritual awakening. Do you remember what this series is about? Can I remind you? This series is a historic analysis of some glory days. There was a time back, 700 AD, a time when the people of God found in the nation of Judah under the leadership of Hezekiah experienced an outpouring of God's favor. They were exciting days of spiritual awakening, of revival, where people were growing in love for God. Each was being awakened personally and corporately they were being awakened. There was a fire in the house, spiritually speaking, and they were being used by God to spread his cause into neighboring countries and throughout. It was revival. And we want that. None of us want to go to a boring, dull, lifeless church. We want to be caught up in a genuine move of God. And so we've been studying what they did back then in Hezekiah's day so we can do the same things and hope that God will bless us with a spiritual awakening. Can I remind you of the things we've learned so far? We're looking in 2 Chronicles. We started in chapter 29. And the first key to an awakening we found was serving. The people had neglected the service of the Lord. The Levites, who were called to the service of God, had ignored serving him, and God said, this won't do. And we discovered that we, the priesthood of all believers, have been called by God to, whether we realize it or not, he has a specific role in the local church he wants us to fill in serving him. In fact, the Holy Spirit is supernaturally ready to, to empower us and gift us to fulfill that role. Serving. And then later in chapter 29, we learned that worship was one of the keys. Hezekiah said to the instrumentalist, Dust off your instruments, tune them up, because our voices are about to fill the air with praise of God. And we've discovered that song, worship through song, and some say, Man, you have to chat, excuse me, you have to. 
the chapel was my old church. Every once in a while, I'm going to mess up. Would you forgive me? You at the Compass Church are, you are into your song singing. What's going on? And we're, we're going to say, you know what? You're right. We are. Because we believe that song is a, a conduit by which we can be ushered into the very presence of God, see his face, and pour out our love. And so we're going to lean into song. We're not going to treat it like a prelude to the message. We're going to focus our minds on the very real presence of God and express our hearts to him through song. And then uh, the next chapter was chapter 30. We learned last week that outreach was an essential component of that awakening as they prepared for a week-long festival called the Passover. Hezekiah shocked everybody by saying, we're going to invite the people to the north, you know, our sworn enemies who are so far from God, we're going to invite them to our festival, our Passover celebration, in hopes that they will encounter the grace of God and find reconciliation with him. And the people are like, let's just have our party and not worry about them. Hezekiah said, no. It is central to the heart of God that we reach out. And we discovered that Jesus was called friend of sinners, that he was passionate about reaching out to those far from God, and that he wants to use us as couriers or ambassadors to reach out relationally and to love our neighbors, co-workers, family members who are far from God, to love them, to tell them our story of what God's doing in our lives, to invite them to church. God's going to use us all to do outreach. And that brings us to chapter 31 of 2 Chronicles. And here's where we're looking about this topic called giving, giving financially, generosity. And all of chapter 31 is about the role that giving played in that awakening under Hezekiah. We're specifically going to look at three verses of that chapter. Verses 4, 5, and 8, these verses, though I would encourage you to read it all, these three verses will really give us the heart of what took place. So let's start with verse 4. Hezekiah ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give. And I have to pause right there because there are some words here that jump out at me. Hezekiah ordered them. Wow, that's a very forceful term, wouldn't you agree? He ordered them to give. Hezekiah didn't suggest that they give. He didn't say, here's something for your consideration. Hezekiah knew that this was not optional. This was an essential part of what it means to be a follower of God. And so with great boldness, Hezekiah said, people, there's something that we've been ignoring that we can ignore no longer. That is, we've got to give. Now, I'm sure that he said this with his knees knocking. And you say, how do you know that? Because all of us leaders, when it comes to talking about financial matters, we get freaking out. And I'm freaking out right now, I will just tell you, because I know some of you are already looking at me like, oh boy, here you go, pastor. All you pastors are alike. You all talk about giving money to church. Makes me... This is a very touchy and sensitive subject, and there have been many who have left the church over this very topic. And so I approach it with great trepidation, and I'm begging the Lord to give me discernment and courage, but also sensitivity as I talk about this topic. Hezekiah did it. 
He says, people, we've got to talk about giving because giving is at the core of what it means to follow God. There's, there's another phrase here that I'd like to point out. Hezekiah ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due. There's a portion that's due to the Lord. And uh, that's the big question. People say, how much? Can I throw a dollar in the plate? Can I throw half a dollar in the plate like my son? You know? and, and that's a really important question. And this passage makes it clear that the people understood, Hezekiah understood, that there was a portion that was due. And that portion was known to the people then, and it's been known to students of the Bible throughout the centuries, and that portion is 10%. It's called the tithe. In fact, the very next verse, verse 5, the end of verse 5, it says this, they brought a great amount. They brought a tithe of everything. And the word tithe quite literally means a tenth, 10% of everything. Dating back to the days of Abraham and through the days of Christ, it was understood that the benchmark that reflects the expectation of God to his people in regards to giving to his cause is a tenth. And when it says that they brought a tithe of everything, I want to clarify that they didn't bring uh, money, probably. They were all farmers, and in that day, they traded their produce. And so you can imagine that if they had cows, they brought one out of ten. And if they had uh, bushels of wheat, they brought one out of ten of those. And so to picture this plan of God, I'm going to use produce. I'm not a farmer, but I have picked apples before, so I feel that I can speak here. So here are, here are ten apples representing the resources that God has entrusted to our stewardship or management. And as you can see, there are nine red ones and one green. Now, God owns it all. Can I just tell you that basic biblical principle? We have been bought at a price. Those of us who are Christians, we recognize that Jesus died for our souls. He bought our lives. We are his. Everything we have is his. And yet, the Lord says, out of all the dollars that we earn, one out of ten are are sacred, are really special. They're holy. They're the most glorious of all the dollars. They are the tithe. And God says, that tenth, I ask you to bring to me as an act of worship and as a demonstration of your devotion to my cause and give it to me. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? And when it's apples, it almost looks easy. If you had ten apples and the Lord came to you and said, could I have one of them? You'd say, sure. But when it is our money... It's a lot more difficult to do, is it not? And so many of us desire to tithe, but when it comes right down to living on nine apples, it just doesn't work. We all have a ten-apple lifestyle, not a nine-apple lifestyle. And why is that? It's because we live in a materialistic society that is constantly pushing us to maximize our lifestyle. You know, our society is saying your house is really small. And your car, you should be embarrassed driving that thing. And your technology is too old. And 
your vacations are not nice enough, and your clothes are in desperate need of improvement. And, and as a result, we push ourselves and push ourselves and ever expand our lifestyle to where we're living on 10 apples. And God says, my plan has always been that you live on nine apples and that you give one to me. And you say, but I can't. Here's what I would suggest. You know, in your mind, you know what 90% of your income is. Ask yourself, is it possible to live on that amount of money? And the answer for every single person in the room is yes, it's possible. There are those who live on less than 90% of what we make in this world. Most of the world lives on a lot less. The truth is, we don't want to sacrifice. We don't want to simplify. We don't want to deny ourselves and live a nine-apple lifestyle. But if we wanted to, with God's help, we could. And God says, I'm asking you to. I'm asking you to live on nine and give me one. Well, uh, this is tough, and I just want to acknowledge, even now, I'm sure the squirming ratio in this room is going up as people go, whoa, I mean, now it's okay with giving a five bucks or something, but I mean, 10% of my income, we're talking serious dollars. Yep, yep, we are. So let's, let's continue. Uh, we, we were looking in verse four. What, what in the world is all this money going to go to? You know. Well, here's what it says. Hezekiah ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give. To give the portion due, that's the tithe, the 10%, to the priests and the Levites. The money back then went to pay the full-time staff that worked in the temple. There were a portion of the people back in that day that were supposed to devote their whole career to serving at the temple. And the plan was that that money would be used to pay them. And you know what? The same thing happens in our church. The majority of the money that comes in goes to pay the salaries of our staff. Some people don't like that. I just want to acknowledge. I've, I've talked with, I remember talking with a guy who was really against that. He even said it to my face. He said, you mega church people, you mega churches with your mega staff, it's ridiculous how much money goes to paying salaries of all these church staff people. He told me, he goes, I am a part of a simple church. He says, I go to a church that's small, it meets in a house. We don't need staff to run things. And as a result, we don't need all this money like you do. And when he said it, it sounded so... Uh, pious and respectable, but you need to know that though I'm all for churches that meet in houses and are small, the idea of avoiding church staff has never been a biblical plan. The Bible, as we see in the Old Testament, was that one-twelfth of the people were employed to serve full-time in the church. And even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul made it clear, uh, both in First Timothy and in First uh, Corinthians, that there were people who were on staff, pastors paid to devote the entirety of their career to minister as servants of the Lord. Uh, that's been God's strategy, Old Testament, New Testament, and present. And so you just got to know that God wants to work this way. And the uh, fair question is, why? Well, it's found in the verse. So they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. There's a level of devotion of more of their lives to 
the advancement of God's cause that is possible because of this funding. And so God's strategy is this. The Lord just wants to maximize the effectiveness of his cause. He wants the good news of Jesus Christ to spread throughout the world. And so the Lord came up with this strategy. I want to mobilize everybody as servants. And some, I want them to be full-time in their staff devotion to the church. And God says, through this strategy, we will have greater kingdom impact. You know, people, staff that are working both here, near, and far, let's fund them to advance the cause in in a record pace. God knows what he's doing. Uh, Can I just comment on this term, devotion? The idea is that these people would be devoted to the cause. And I'd like to just celebrate with you that the staff of the Compass Church, their devotion has inspired me. As I've had the privilege in the last few months of observing the staff in our church, I am like, wow, these are high caliber individuals who could have made a lot more money working in secular jobs, but they chose courageously to follow the call of God in their lives. And you should just know they give their blood, sweat, and tears to see the cause of Christ advanced through their leadership and through their service. And we should be grateful and inspired by their example. So uh, let's move on. Next, uh, you want to plug out? We'll clap for them. Verse 5. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave Let's pause for a moment because I I need to comment on that. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave. That surprises me. This speech that Hezekiah gave, guys, I have to tell you, we're missing the mark when it comes to managing our finances. We need to start giving 10%. I would have anticipated reluctance. I would have anticipated the Israelites saying, oh, man, this message stinks. I can't stand this. I can't believe that dude had the guts to get into my business, and all right, I'll give you a little bit. That's the attitude I would have anticipated, but I don't sense that in this verse. I sense enthusiasm, don't you? As soon as. I mean, it was quick, and it wasn't meagerly. They gave generously. Well, what does that show us? That shows us that their hearts were in it. The people were being revived. They were coming alive and awakened to God. And so they, they gave with heart-backed enthusiasm. And this heart connection is really, really, really important. Do you know that? A lot of times people say, ah, oh, doggone it, I knew that this pastor was going to talk about money too, and I suppose we got to give our dues. I, I, that's not God's plan. I, had a, I have a friend of mine who had the courage to tell me what was on his heart. And after uh, he had heard me preach about giving, he just said, Jeff, I'll just tell you, I, I hated your sermon. I hate when every pastor talks about money. I can't stand this part of church life. He had seen guys on TV who, quite honestly, abused this principle. And it just made him want to vomit every time he heard money mentioned in church. 
And he says, I give a little bit. He goes, I can't stand it, but I do it. And, and I, I, I told him something. I just felt God prompt me in this particular case. I said, you know what? Stop giving. And he's like, what did you say? And I said, stop giving. I said, if you hate it, if it's making you miserable, if your heart is so against the concept, you've got a heart problem you need to deal with first. I told him, I said, you know what? I think this may even be keeping you away from the Lord. So stop giving. And instead, put your focus on getting to know Jesus Christ. I told him, I go, he was a new Christian, if a Christian at all. And I said, when you fall in love with the Lord, when you see his beauty and love, when you recognize what he's done on the cross to save your soul, when you identify the countless ways that his goodness and grace are being showered in your life, when you fall in love with the Lord, you won't hate giving. And I don't know if he stopped giving or not. He didn't tell me. But a few years later, he came to me and he said, it happened. I go, well, what happened? I fell in love with Christ. And I said, tell me more. And he just shared. He goes, Jeff, he is my all and all. And he said, you know the giving thing? He goes, I'm now a tither. He goes, between you and I, I give more than a tithe. And he goes, and I love it. I go, you do? And he said, it has made my work. He, he's a wealthy, successful businessman. And he says, it has infused meaning into my work life. He goes, I'm trying to make as much money as I possibly can so I can give more so that more souls can be saved in God's kingdom. He says, when I give now, I do it out of passionate love for God and gratitude. I feel the smile of God. He said, it's become my favorite aspect of the Christian life. <laughs> and I'm like, that is a miracle for a guy to go from that extreme. But that's God's plan. He wants us to give with enthusiasm that was demonstrating a heart that's in love with the Lord. That's what brings a smile to God's face. And can I show you something else? This passage says that they gave generously. They gave the first fruits of their grain, their wine, their olive oil, their honey, and all that their fields produced. That's a weird word, first fruits. And yet that specific detail about their giving practice is very useful for us. It provides us both a strategy and an answer to a question we've got. The strategy is found in this. What first fruits meant is when they started to harvest their field, rather than giving the Lord the last tenth of their harvest, the minute they finished harvesting the first tenth of their field, they gave that first to the Lord. And so in other words, the very first monthly gift or payment went to God. And then the other things in life. And I'll tell you why that's good strategically. When we wait and we say, Lord, at the end of the month, I'll give you the tenth that's left over, that usually doesn't work very well, does it? What happens is we get to the end of the month and all of a sudden our, uh, our garbage disposal breaks down like mine did this week. And we're like, oops, Lord, there's nothing left but your apple. Uh, 
sorry, Lord, I didn't want to do that, but I have to. I got another option. And school supplies are ridiculous. Didn't see that coming. Carlinch, sorry, Lord, you know. And by the time it comes around to actually giving to him, we're like, ooh, I didn't mean, but this is all that's left, you know. My intentions were good, Father. I really planned on giving her the full tithe, but here, you know. And, and we honor him by prioritizing him strategically in our bu- budget and say, the very first, 10. You know, I will confess, I am an undisciplined person. I'm asking the Lord to make me more disciplined, but I struggle with this. And so I had failure in my past. And one of the things that has served me well is I practice first fruit giving through the electronic venue. Uh, you can go on our, our website, and I've done this recently on the Compass website as a new member of the church. I went online to the online giving, and uh, there's a place where you can make it automatically recurring. And I signed up and made it weekly. And so now, every week, without me doing anything, it just zaps right out of my account. Zoom! There goes my tithe without me doing anything. And it served me well. You know, I, 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 I automatically give that tenth, and I look at the nine apples that remain and say, Lord, now you got to help me make it on these nine apples. And so maybe the electronic recurring giving is a good strategy for you as well. Anyway, you have a plan, but it's got to be a plan that works for you. I told you that the, the first fruits giving is both a strategy to be successful in this, but it's also an answer to a question. One of the questions that I frequently get, this 10%, is it gross or net? <laughs> is this pre-tax or after taxes? You know, that's a very good question. And I will tell you my personal understanding. As I look at first fruits, it seems that they looked at the totality, their biggest harvest, and they said, I'm going to take 10% of that, and I'm going to pay the Lord before I pay the IRS. And so that would be the gross to say, Lord, and this is how my family practices. We're going to give 10% of the biggest dollar. We're not going to try, you know, Jesus gave everything. We're not going to try to figure out a way to lessen it. If anything, we're going to go above, and many go above the 10%. Right. Some of you don't like this sermon at all. I can tell. So let's continue. <laughs> The next verse, verse 18, says this. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, (laughs) they praised the Lord and they blessed his people. I want to be there. I want to see the heaps. Hezekiah was told, you got to come and see this. And they came down to the temple and the generosity was visibly represented by resources just piled up. And they announced that we have more than enough to meet the needs of God's cause. And the days of revival were unhindered by limited resources, and God's kingdom expanded exponentially as it was funded by the generosity of the people. And that's God's plan. It says that they praised the Lord, you know, those who are inquisitive may question that and say, I don't know why they're praising God. Seems to me they should be praising the people. It was the people who gave all this money, not God. 
And yet the Lord deserves to be praised every time there is an overflowing act of corporate generosity. And the reason is, that's a work of God in the hearts of his people, is it not? You know, these heaps are not a natural dynamic happening with the fleshly response of mankind. This is a work of God. Anytime you see a whole bunch of people giving and giving and giving, it's all God. God was the one who gave them the skills and abilities to make the money. God was the one that provided them the jobs to earn a salary. God was the one that moved by his spirit in their hearts and changed them to generous people. God was the one who guided them to give 10%. And that giving is a reflection of his transformational work in the hearts of his people. Even uh, non-Christians recognize the supernatural element in this. I've talked with non-Christian friends sometimes, and they'll ask me about our church. Big church, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. What's your budget? Uh, $5 million. They're like, I don't understand. Where do you get $5 million? And I explain. The people give it. He's like, come on. I'm serious. They give $5 million every year? And I'm like, he's like, you're talking big bucks. And it doesn't make sense to him because he knows that's not normal. That's not how the materialistic culture we live in operates. To voluntarily give up enormous quantities of money for the cause of this God must be a miracle. Non-Christians recognize that and stand amazed. Folks, when we look at the past of generosity in our church, when we look at the future of even greater generosity, we give praise to God for the miracle that he's doing in our midst, in us and through us. They praised the Lord, but I want to show you one last thing. They also blessed the people. Hezekiah stood before the heaps and before the people, and he announced, he pronounced a blessing on the people because of their generosity. And one of the unmistakable themes in Scripture is that God will not be outgiven, that God will respond to the obedience and the sacrificial gifts of his people by blessing them. I almost hesitate to point out this principle because I have seen some Christians take on an almost selfish approach to giving and say, all right, Lord, I'll give you the 10%, but I'm looking for you to bless my business. And they're almost doing it so they can get, and that's not the heart God's longing for. But assuming our hearts are right, Scripture is clear that God blesses generosity. In fact, Jesus said, to the measure with which you give, that will be the measure to which you receive from the Lord. And so, if we had a microphone to pass around, I know We'd go all afternoon of people telling stories of how they used to not tithe, they became a tither, and God's blessing has been so evident in their lives in a thousand little ways. God is true to his word, and he blesses those who honor him by submitting their finances to his lordship. The revival went out in the days of Hezekiah. And Lord willing, the revival is going to continue in our church in glorious and unmistakable ways. 
I wanted to provide at the end of the message here a very concrete response to this challenge. Sometimes at the end of a service, we kind of go, hey, that was a nice little talk, and we go out to our car and la, 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 and we never act or respond to what God is calling us to. And sometimes a very tangible, written response can serve us well and gain real momentum in our lives. And so you will find, maybe you got one in your notebook that we gave on week one if you brought that, or you can find one in the slot in the front of the the chair in front of you. And we only need one card per family, okay? But this card provides a number of responses by which you can make a decision. Tell God, tell yourself, and tell the leaders of our church who will receive these that I'm in. And you'll see that there are different ways to respond. Some say, I will continue with my giving. I'm going to continue giving at the same rate that I have been. My faithfulness has been true, and you can count on that faithfulness enduring. Others say, I just want to start giving. I've never been a giver before. I want to put my big toe in the water and test what it's like to give to God's cause. Another says there, I'm feeling God calling to me to increase my giving, and I want to just put it down. I'm going to increase it. Another spot there is I want to be a full tither, 10%. I've been thinking about it for years. It's time I do it. And you're going to check that box. Others there, you'll see that you can request more information about how to give electronically. There's also one there about the Financial Peace University. Some of you are saying, I need help. I am so upside down financially. I am so deep in credit card debt. I'm a mess And we have a course here where those who have some maturity and wisdom in this can provide some instruction on budgeting and developing a financial plan that could bring you peace, financial peace university. So can I challenge you? I'm going to pray, and then uh, a song will start. And during that song, at the beginning of the song, is a chance for you to fill out the card. Then the ushers are going to pass the offering plates. You can put your card in the plate. You can put your offering in the plate. Some of you are, what do you mean offering in the plate? I thought you just challenged us to consider giving electronically. It's always awkward. You know, people think I don't give. You know, here's what I do as an electronic giver. I'm grateful the plate is passed because I let that physical plate remind me to turn my attention to that gift that happened that week electronically. There it went, remember? And I say, Lord, you received it. And I still, uh, my heart's behind that gift. Receive it as an act of my love and devotion to your cause. And I let that plate be a reminder to me in that way. So you ready? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we got a lot of emotion going on in the room right now. A lot of guilt. God, to all of us who are weighted down with guilt right now, show us your grace. Show us your love that comes and your forgiveness that flows even in our failure. Thank you, God, for your grace. Forgive us for our mishandling finances in the past. And God, I'm sure there's a lot of conviction. God, let that conviction be from your spirit only. And we pray that you would guide us gently and forcefully into obedience according to what you are calling us to in this moment. God, take all of these jumbled emotions 
and speak with clarity to our hearts. Help us to simplify, to sacrifice, to live a nine-apple lifestyle. God, I, I heard a guy tell me between services that the nine apples taste so much sweeter when we've given the one to you. And I pray that that would be the great joy of all of us as we move in obedience to your plan. And then, God, we pray that you would receive our gifts as an act of love and devotion, that you would use our gifts to advance your kingdom powerfully in the hearts of a world that needs Jesus, both here, near, and far. We pray this in Christ's name.